0: Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar.
1: And I'm Tom Kinesik. Welcome back to uh, episode 25 – or 125, excuse me, 125. <laughs> so, Oh, how horrible would that be if
0: we went back? I don't know what 25 the- is. If it's a <laughs> guest <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: yeah. <who> it- <laughs> – I'm, I'm sure those episodes are not as – not quite as polished yeah, as but today we is. have
1: a lot of great native plant information for you this week. But uh but as always we want to start with a little bit of follow up and yep. first let's talk about our our presentation we did for the Sourlands
0: Conservancy. And I, I wanna say thank you to everyone that came, although only two of you will know that because even though we had a packed house, there were only two listeners mm-hmm. uh, to the podcast. So that kind of like scared me a little bit. Yeah. Just because it was People that a new crowd. They weren't. I'm, they weren't there for us. They, <laughs> they weren't, they weren't,
1: and who knows? We haven't done a uh, something live like that in a while. Um, no, and
0: they weren't wise to our antics, so they didn't really know yeah, what to yeah. expect. And so then I was like, "Oh, I hope I've, this translates. I've
1: never been heckled before. Well, I, that's a lie. We were heckled during one presentation we did online. Yes, um, we were. But it was just through the chat.
0: Yes. So was, that no one else saw. Yeah. Only us and the moderator saw it. That was the one heckle. It was really uncalled for. <laughs> but, but, you know. I cried a little bit when we just, were done. Just uh, a tad. But, just a tad. So, but, okay. no, it was
1: a lot of fun just getting out and seeing people and, and shaking hands and, and just – Meeting people in, in person person and
0: having interaction, it's kind of nice to say something and hear a chuckle mm-hmm. or or hear a confirmation, which we really have never yeah, had. We aren't just in this lonely little room by ourselves <laughs> <laughs> and again, speaking to no one <laughs> but ourselves. But uh, it it was it was really nice seeing faces and talking to people before and after uh, the presentation, and uh, you know, just getting that it, it was a whole different feel. Yeah. And and it was nice. Yeah. I don't know which how else to say
1: makes it. makes me really pumped up for our live show, which is tomorrow. Yes. Uh, and that's going to be at James Braddock Park in North Bergen, New Jersey at Nature's Park Cafe. It starts at 2 p.m., but there's going to be a plant sale beforehand. So uh, a lot of reason to go up to North Bergen and, and get outside in the park and walk around a little bit, maybe buy some plants. Uh, and then if you feel like staying, you can come and listen to us talk to. You
0: it. do have to book it in advance. The only thing I'll say is I was plugging it into my GPS and I guess there's a Nature's Park Cafe also at like a very similar address in Nutley. Like, just make sure you're going to Hudson County. It, it looked like there were a couple places. It's in in uh, James Braddock Park in Hudson County. Uh, so just make sure you're going to the right. I'd hate for you to show up at the the wrong place and and not get to hear us. But you do have to book your uh, passes in. It's free, but you have to book it because space is limited. So make sure make sure you get it because time's almost out. We're running out, and I'm hoping that there's no technical difficulties. This is our first time setting up for a live podcast, so there could be hecklers.
1: Yeah, please don't heckle us. If if you want to see a grown man crumble before your eyes, that's a a golden opportunity. I I have a
0: feeling that we won't because our guest will be Dr. Randy Eckle of Mm -hmm. Toadshade Wildflower Farm, who's also our most requested guest, so I don't think anyone's heckling randy maybe they'll heckle us yeah. and not her give her yeah. a pass so. so there's no reason to no reason to to bring that yeah but
1: frame why don't we get started with the native plant stuff and kick it off with that's hot,
0: hot.
1: all right uh i i want you to go first okay. because i see your it's the time of year that uh yes that i i think i've i'm almost positive i've had this as my plan of the week before and um and it's one that I don't pronounce the common or the botanical name <laughs> properly, <laughs> too. So, friend, you got to help me here. Uh, Toxicodendron radicans.
0: I believe that's correct. And, that's how uh, I would say. Yeah. It. So,
1: so, listening, does anyone know what that plant is? The name kind of gives it away when you think about the very beginning. It's poison ivy, and uh, this is my poison ivy awareness uh, time of year. This is when I tend to get a lot of poison ivy because I start to get out in the woods. I do a lot of hunting. And um and I tend to get it. But it's important to remember that it's a really beneficial plant. There's an article online I just when I was looking for some of the, the wildlife benefits for it, um and I was calling it like nature's salad buffet, because it's an early successional species, pops up in disturbed areas, the birds eat the berries, a lot of different wildlife, including deer, will eat the leaves. Um I guess they don't have the the poison effects on their skin like we do. So it's a really, really beneficial wildlife species while it's really a, a pain in the neck to us um, or a pain in the arms or a pain in the rear if you're really <laughs> unlucky or me pain everywhere <laughs> eyes all of it but uh, a little bit about that that i took from wildflower.org and that is an upright climbing or trailing shrub that bears small yellowish white flower clusters old stems covered with fibrous roots look hairy poison ivy is extremely variable in form occurring as a ground cover along road sides to unreck shrub especially in Sandy coastal areas, which I've never seen it as an erect shrub, but that sounds kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, And then a large vine on trees, red fall foliage is especially conspicuous. Uh, My biggest run in with this is I was uh, again, I like the hunt. I was putting up a tree stand in the fall and, um, and was using a, a pole saw to just trim off some branches for where I wanted to put this up. And, um, I didn't realize I was I was trimming poison ivy that had climbed oh. up the backside of the tree and wrapped around. And I'm literally catching the branches that they fall so I can dump them around, picking them up all my arms, not really thinking much of it. Uh, went home, gave my wife a, wife a hug. I only had like a little handful of specks mostly on my hands and fingers, and she got it all over her just from the oils being oils. on my shirt. So uh, be very, very careful with it. It can be really, really painful for a lot of people. I'm allergic, um, so
0: when I get it, it's, but, it's horrible.
1: Also, it's a necessary thing for if we want wild or wild spaces to remain wild, it's something that needs to be there in a lot of cases.
0: And I was just looking when you mentioned wildlife value, I just did a quick search. Um, I don't know if you saw, there's um, a blog called Tara Tara Wildlife. Wow, why am I having trouble saying that? But besides deer, uh, white-tailed deer, um, also raccoons and black bears, but they were saying, and I had never thought about this, sometimes the... The vine acts as a path for small mammals and lizards to give them access to trees they necessarily wouldn't have access to. So, really interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Um, and it's important
1: to, to this time of year as the leaves start to turn color. It's very beautiful this yes. time of year. Oh, too. completely. Um, but it's it's easily confusable with um with uh, Virginia creeper too. So when you can see the leaves leaves. And Now, Virginia creeper can be tricky because those first couple leaflets will have sometimes three before they get five. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at the tip, and it looks like, oh, there's only three, it's poison ivy. But then as you look further down the vine, there's five, and then, you're, okay, that's, that's Virginia creeper.
0: Um, the other interesting thing, too, as a young plant, if you're looking at box elder, native box elder, Asian agundo, and it's coming up the seedlings – Kind of resemble you get that three leaves yeah. and it kind of resembles poison ivy. So that's even one that you may confuse. Look to see if you have box elder in the area uh, as well. That's that's one that I've I've accidentally mistaken. And then
1: what I would use to do tell them apart in the fall is Virginia creeper has like a dark bluish or blackish berry, and the poison ivy has a white berry. So you climb in mm-hmm. in a tree and you see a white berry, and on the vine, and the vines a little hairy. Well, the vines when when they're younger aren't as hairy. Um, that's going to be poison ivy. If it's the blackish, bluish berry, then it's Virginia creeper. Uh, nothing worse than when you're 20 feet up in a tree and you're like, oh, uh, I'm <laughs> holding uh, on to poison ivy. Uh, 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 and you learn to identify that stuff pretty quick. So. Oh, All right, friend. What, what was
0: your plant this week? So I'm pretty sure this is one that's been used before, but I don't think it's been used for mm. this purpose. I think you gotta need to rule it out, friend. I actually used this
1: one for this purpose did last you, year. Did you yeah. really? Uh well, I don't have another okay? one, so I have to do it's, it. It's very it's it's worthwhile. To,
0: you know. And and what made me think of this plant was I was starting to notice goldfinches um, again, and because they were they were landing on uh, purple coneflower, which is Echinacea purpurea for this, uh, the spent seed head. So it's a time of the year where most of the flowering is done. You're starting to get that, that old seed head that a lot of people want to cut down, but it is an important food source for, for many birds. And I did take this from wildflower.org just because I thought it was a great description. Um, a popular perennial with smooth, uh, two to five foot stems and long lasting lavender flowers, rough scattered leaves that become small towards the top of the stem. Flowers occur singly at the top. Uh, top the stems and have domed purplish brown spiny centers and drooping lavender rays, an attractive perennial with purple, rarely white drooping rays surrounding a spiny brownish central disc. The genus name comes from the Greek echinos, which means hedgehog, which I did not know, uh, an allusion to the spiny brownish central disc. The flowers of Echinacea uh, species are used to make an extremely, pop- extremely popular herbal tea, purported to help strengthen the immune system. An extract is also available in tablet or liquid form in pharmacies and health uh, health food stores. Often cultivated, purple coneflower is a showy, easily grown garden plant. Introduced, uh, it isn't introduced native to New Jersey. You'll find it all over, but it, it's not actually native to here. Uh, its its native habitat is is mainly well drained limestone, sand clay and loam, rocky open woods, thickets, or prairies. So, and it makes a great cut flower as well. Yeah, one of the things. 'cause I remember the
1: the hedgehog thing yeah. um being talked about before on our podcast. I don't forget it I forget it was a native plant every day where we talked about it or it may have been on yeah here where we talked about it, and we talk about like latin and and Greek and how these names come about and it's like, I didn't know hedgehogs were from Greece or <laughs> they were from that yeah. area <laughs> and uh I don't know if they actually actually were, so it's like some of the times it's like, hey, yeah, it could be that for that but like who actually Did they actually have that word or was the word adapted later for that kind of thing? I Ah. looked it up. Hedgehogs are originally from Africa, East Africa, West Africa, and Central Africa, um, but may have been in Europe and and Asia as well.
0: I just love some of the Greek or Latin meanings for some of these words. Like I just – I know this is totally off topic, but I just learned today that phlebotomy or phlebotomist Mm -hmm. comes from the Greek words or Latin words meaning vein cutting. Okay, (laughs) okay. Ugh. yeah, I had to get yeah. blood not, this morning. Not fun. Not what I think of. Yeah. Not really cutting, but yeah, that's yeah. it's just. You why, know, and you, why did they
1: have that word?
0: I guess like we have we have a word for it. So yeah, yeah. why? Yeah, would I, guess I because of Sonic. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You> Have to. <laughs> By the way, off completely off topic. Just on the follow up from last week, we were having the or the last buzz we were having the Fred Durst conversation. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of it at the time, but Juggalos are like sworn enemies of Fred Durst. Like they do oh, not man. like Fred Durst.
1: I did not know that. Yeah, that's, uh,
0: that's Shaggy Two Dope tried to drop kick Fred Durst off a stage, but missed. It was actually like a really good wrestling drop kick. He just tapped him. He was. Oh, uh, he little, tried to kick him off the edge of the his stage. His legs were a little shorter than yes. he thought. They he just were. just misjudged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so just thought I'd throw that out there. Yeah. So for those juggalos that are listening, <laughs> <laughs> I know we're very popular in that crowd. So. <laughs> but these are two real <laughs> two really good plants uh that you should have well I don't know if you want poison ivy I have poison ivy all over my oh, property and it serves a purpose it actually makes a good good border it's yeah. um two,
1: I would I would rephrase and say there are two really good or really important plants with amazing wildlife benefit maybe not one you want around your house the other one you yeah. don't but um both have have major benefits for wildlife uh in their native ranges so i
0: agree yeah. all right you ready for a little this or that
1: yes please oh
0: how about that's hot, hot again you want to do that's hot again yeah i can talk <laughs> about uh i can talk about poison <laughs> ivy all day all right hold on all right so we do have a winner from last week so mine was on invasive species uh being sold the, the world's most invasive species still being sold at garden centers. Tom's was on uh, bison uh, diversity or biodiversity for, for prairies, and we have a winner, and the winner is Tom. Tom, 10 to 9. Are you surprised? You're not surprised. Uh, no, you knew you were all. It was we're talking, pretty close, though. The bison are romantic.
1: The bison. And I, I was even – I don't remember who it was, but I was talking to someone and saying, oh, there's uh, – a conference I'm going to the Eastern Native Grass and Symposium. One of the tours is to visit a bison farm. Um, and then I they were saying, I think it was Noel in our office, was saying, Oh, yeah, we could go there because I'm sure it'll be very romantic. Yeah, and like I'm making a callback to something I said during the podcast that I did not remember <laughs> saying. and I'm like, That's a kind of a weird thing for you to say, Noel. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, yeah. No, you listen to the podcast. I for, I forgot. That yeah. I said that.
0: I've been well, – since we named the last episode, the last Buzz episode, Bison, 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 I keep saying it like Little Caesar's Pizza, like yeah. Pizza Pizza. It's like Bison, Bison. <laughs> so that's how I keep – I keep remembering that. But you did win. It was very, I did put up a fight this time. I think I actually had the lead at some point. You came from behind and pulled out the victory at the last minute. So uh, very good win. Congratulations. And you get to pick. You want to go first or you want to go second?
1: Um, I'm going to let you go first. I know you enjoy going first, so hmm. I'll give you a little
0: bit of a chance. Do you know the article that I'm— I you- do know
1: the article. I got a lot to say about this article. All right. <laughs> so.
0: Oh, I can't wait. So this one made its rounds. I'm sure a lot of you had heard this, but— uh, it's called Patagonia's Billionaire Owner Gives Away Company to Fight Climate Crisis, and this is by Aaron McCormick from The Guardian. Setting There was a New York Times article too, but because of the paywall, I chose The Guardian article. Um, setting a new example in environmental corporate leadership, the billionaire owner of Patagonia is giving the entire company away to fight the earth's climate devastation, he announced on Wednesday. Patagonia founder Yvonne… Chenard, Chenard. okay. Who turned his passion for rock climbing into one of the world's most successful sportswear brands, is giving the entire company to a uniquely structured trust and nonprofit designed to pump all the company's profits into saving the planet. As of now, Earth is our only shareholder, the company announced. All profits in perpetuity will go to our mission to save our home planet. Shannard, 83, worked with his wife and two children as well as teams of company lawyers to create a structure that will allow Patagonia to continue to operate uh, as a for-profit company whose proceeds will go to benefit environmental efforts. If we have any hope of a thriving planet, much less a thriving business, 50 years from now, it's going to take all of us doing what we can with the resources we have, said Shenard in a statement This is another way we found to do our part. Chenard's family donated 2% of all stock and all decision-making authority to a trust which will oversee the company's mission and values. The other 98% of the company's stock will go to a nonprofit called the Holdfast Collective, which will use every dollar received to fight the environmental crisis, protect nature and biodiversity, and support thriving communities as quickly as possible, according to the statement. Each year, the money Patagonia makes after reinvesting in the business will be distributed to the nonprofit to help fight the environmental crisis. The structure, uh, the statement said, was designed to avoid selling the company or taking it public, which would have meant a change in its values. Instead of going public, you could say we're going purpose, says Chenard. Instead of extracting value from nature and transforming it into wealth for investors, we'll use the wealth Patagonia creates to protect the source of all wealth. Patagonia's new direction is designed to set an example that disproves the old shareholder capitalism axiom uh, that corporate goals other than profit will just confuse investors, wrote Patagonia's board chair Charles Kahn in an opinion piece for Fortune magazine on Wednesday. Instead of exploiting natural resources to make shareholder returns, we are turning shareholder capitalism on its head by making the earth our only shareholder, he wrote. Chouinard and Patagonia have uh, long been groundbreakers, environmental activism, and employee benefits. In its nearly 50 years of operation, the Ventura, California-based company has been known for extensive benefits for employees, including on-site nurseries and, a- and afternoons off on good surf days. In the 1980s, the company began uh, donating 1% of its sales to environmental groups, a program formalized in 2001 as the 1% for the Planet Scheme. The program has resulted in $140 million in donations for preservation and restoration of the natural environment, according to the company. Patagonia was one of the earliest companies to become a B Corp, submitting to certification as meeting certain environmental and social standards. And recently, it changed the mission to state, we're in business to save our home planet. Chantanard, the famously eccentric entrepreneur who started the business fashioning metal climbing pythons uh, or spikes to wedge into cracks while rock climbing, uh, and lived out of his van at climbing destinations for many years, was horrified uh, to be seen as a billionaire, he told the New York Times. I was in Forbes magazine listed as a billionaire, which really, really pissed me off. He said, I don't have a billion in the bank, and I don't drive Lexuses. Uh, the Chenard family are at the forefront of charitable giving, philanthropy, and trust experts, told the New York Times. This this family is uh, is a way outlier. When you consider that most billionaires give only a tiny fraction of their net worth away every year, uh, Dave Callahan, founder of the website Inside Philanthropy, told the newspaper. So that I thought that was very notable. I'm curious. You said you had a lot to say on this. Yeah, so I, I should say I have a
1: lot to say about it.
0: But it's um,
1: one of the things – It's this what the, the Chenard family did is actually really noble, and I think it's for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons – They did it, that's left out of definitely left out of the New Mm. York Times article, left out of this article. There's a couple other articles that covered it that Mm. included this. A lot of the reason was the tax benefit of it. um, That they basically for like missed, they could still reap some of the benefits of having the Mm. company, but not have to pay some of the transition Mm. taxes. So there was some major, major tax implications that came Mm. along with this uh, that were beneficial to the Chenard family. That so it's not like they were just but doing this completely out of the no. kindness of their hearts. A lot of it was. Don't get me
0: wrong. No, but you know. But I here's what I appreciate about that, <clears throat> and I can say this from a standpoint of, for you being part of a family that owns uh, a company mm-hmm. that's that's nature based or ecological based, you know, there has to be some benefits to you for the for the company to continue. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, like. What's good for the company is good for what it donates. Mm-hmm. In. Exactly. And we do a lot of charitable things and a lot of good things that we don't really talk about. But if it, if it's good for the company and good for the employees, mm-hmm. then it's good for all the causes that you're trying to help out. Yeah, too. So no, I appreciate a, it in that. Oh, definitely. That it's
1: They've been with the 1% for the planet thing where they yeah. help spearhead. Um, that's basically what that does. That program, if you aren't familiar with it, is uh, – and there's a lot of notable companies that are in it. There's a lot of yes. non-notable yeah. companies that are in it as well. Basically, those companies have pledged to donate one percent of their yearly earnings to conservation or um, climate or outdoor-based charities. Uh, I think fifty percent of it actually has to be cash. And those oh, wow. of you who work for uh, organizations that, like the Salting Conservancy and 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 um, and other organizations like nonprofits like that that work in that space. You guys know that, yeah, volunteers are really, really important, and that's great. Having the time is great, but nothing beats actually having the money uh, at the end of the day. Like, you need the people, too, but you need all of those things. So that's one of the requirements is you can't just do it in donated goods. You can't just do it in donated time. You actually have to pony up. uh, So if you're a $30 million company, that means you're putting out, not $3 million, $300,000 to – uh am I doing my math right? If you were three I'll I'll make it easier on myself. You're a three hundred million dollar company, that means you're putting three million dollars every year, you're taking and donating it to excuse me, one and a half million dollars you could donate, the other half could be in goods and services, advertising or donated time.
0: Yeah, and there's and, and that's not the only organization that does it. The CWRP that the corporate wetland yeah. restoration uh partnership, uh and any company that's involved has to Yeah has to commit to a certain amount that you're giving towards mm-hmm. projects for it. you're not just being a part of it. You're, yeah. you're contributing to it. Uh, not every company has to contribute on the same level, depending on so, like it'd be foolish to think that we're going to contribute the same amount as like a public utility because yeah, there's, exactly. there's not the same amount of income to, so, to do and,
1: that. And Patagonia and Yvonne Chouinard have really been like leaders in that outdoor space of making sure they're giving about back to outdoor places. Um, a lot of those companies have that as part of their missions because their their whole business model revolves around people being able to go and hike mountains and, yeah. and get outside. And if you don't have uh, have the places to go, you don't have your business model crumbles. If people, although people are walking around New York City wearing <laughs> Patagonia yeah. stuff too, but um, they've been on the forefront of that. And they've also, if I I may be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I've heard that Yvonne Chouinard also basically said that he would like to see something similar with outdoor gear that you have with hunting and fishing gear where there's actually a, a surcharge on it or a tax on it that they pay yeah. um, and it's added into the purchase price of something in the neighborhood of like 10% that automatically would go through federal funding back to outdoor places. Kind of like the now duck the, stamp? like the Kind of like the duck, duck stamp, stamp. And um, I've mentioned it before, you have the... the um, uh, Dingle Johnson is one of the laws for fishing gear. When you go and buy a pack of hooks or or bobbers at the store, there's actually a portion of that that goes is automatically donated. So, if say it costs you two bucks, ten percent or eleven percent of that is actually donated or not donated is taxed off of that pur- purchase price, is paid for by the manufacturers to the federal government, and goes into a pool that is then used for like basically fishing access. Um, cleaning streams, that kind of stuff, going right back into the resource. Same thing with hunting, and I can't remember the name of the bill. I brought it up not yeah. that long ago, but I'm okay with
0: that. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm great with that actually. And
1: that's what uh, I think a lot of people are, but more people are not. Um, when it comes to like hunting and fishing, they've a lot of people have been okay, but I know when they've kind of thrown out the idea with uh with the outdoor like REI type places, um, with that that consumer. They weren't as thrilled about that idea. Yeah.
0: A lot of them are, but the majority weren't. Now, I know one of our employees, their spouse, works for REI. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, like where they said Patagonia will give employees off for good surf days, they do hike days, I believe, or yeah. trail days where if it's a good weather, you have the day off, but you have to go hiking. Like you have to spend it outdoors and doing those types of which I think is a wonderful – a yeah. wonderful program for employees oh, yeah. especially if you're a environmental company or deals mm-hmm. with the outdoors that your employees should enjoy yeah. get to enjoy and appreciate
1: yeah that and too. even uh kinders growers does that where they'll take a day and then they're like hey we're just going to go to this park and explore a meadow right. and that's what they'll go out and do
0: so but, something we should probably do too for now i'm thinking about it but but wait you know i <laughs> feel like we get to like on a certain day i may go to one of mm-hmm. our, our seed farms and walk yeah. the seed farm and get to see what's going on it may not be Nature per se, but Mm -hmm. it's getting to explore and spend time with it and outside, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yep. So part of part of our employees get to do it every day with seed collecting. yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So
1: no, that was a good article, friend. Thank you. I'm glad you brought it up because I was almost going to use it until I saw you had it. Um, Obviously, I was the big thing I wanted to cover is they it paints a very rosy picture. It's still very, very rosy. It's very advantageous. a, A slight muted. You, you mute the rosiness when you tie in the tax benefit, yeah. and that is, yeah, it's saving them millions of dollars to do this versus yeah. I doing almost, it a traditional way. I almost
0: didn't choose it because I've seen this make its rounds on social media and on the news, but I wanted us to be able to talk about it, and that's why I was hoping mm-hmm. that one of us yeah. would do it, and I'm like, I'll just pick it.
1: Yeah. So My article yes. also has to do with climate change, Perfect. and this was uh, from CBS News, and the title was Due to Climate Change, Nevada is Saying Goodbye to Grass um, – Makes a lot of sense. Yes, Maybe. it does. So I'll read a little bit and then I'll give my thoughts at the end. So in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's come to the come to this. The climate change has helped make water even more scarce. So under a new Nevada law, the grass has to got to go. When we look at outdoor water use in Southern Nevada, landscaping far and away is the largest water user. And end of that, it's grass, said Bronson Mack of the Las Vegas Water Authority. The city's already pulled up about four million square feet of grass on public property so far this year. Because thirsty green parkways are something they just can't afford anymore. The grass that you see behind me is no longer for this, is not long for this world Mac told correspondent Tracy Smith. Uh, in fact, with the next couple of months to a year this grass will be completely eliminated and will be replaced with drip irrigated trees and plants and every drip counts. So water waste investigators also known as water cops you want that job friend, you want to be a water cop? Yeah, I'll take that Probably job a lot of people hate water cops if we'
0: if we being now, honest. Um, I would
1: I would be okay. So uh, the water cops patrol the neighborhoods, taking note of who's watering and when and how much of that water goes down the drain. Living through the summer of 22 has made climate change harder to deny, whether here in bone dry Nevada or in the uh, Caribbean where rampant seaweed growth is choking beaches or Kentucky where too much water created tragedy, that's still unfolding. But it seems that there are still those who could use convincing that climate change has become a climate emergency. Last spring, a group of scientists chained themselves to a Los Angeles bank in protest over the lack of action. We're going to lose everything, and we're not joking, said one presser, Dr. Peter Kalmas. We're not lying. We're not exaggerating. This is so bad, everyone. Smith asked, if this summer is so ridiculously hot, what is next summer going to look like? In general, it's going to trend up, he replied. 20 years from now, we'll look back on summer of 2020, uh, 2022, and we'll wish that we had this, had it this good. We'll wish it was this cool, and that's not an exaggeration whatsoever, um, which another article I re- I talked about a couple of weeks ago said something similar that we were going to see temperatures uh, along the East Coast and especially in like the Corn Belt in the Midwest. Um, we were going to see heat indexes up over 125. Wow! So that's something that yeah, there are ac- or projections that are saying that that is very real. So, um, and for the most part, the scientific community is behind him. The UN's International Panel on Climate Change report. Uh, is basically the last word on where we stand, and that word is grim, says the report's lead author, Sarah Birch. So what does two, gr- two degrees of warming mean? We asked Neil deGrasse Tyson to lay it out for us. How many degrees away was the ice age of 20,000 years ago? It was eight degrees colder. Eight degrees colder, we have an ice age where glaciers reach all the way down to the middle of the United States of America. So even half a degree makes a huge dis- difference, Aft Smith? In your life, what's a half degree to you or me? Two degrees, who cares? Earth, it matters. It matters, Tyson said. Eight degrees colder, glaciers reach St. Louis. Two degrees warmer, we're losing our coastline. Take it up a little higher, I don't even want to see that. Uh, If the ice caps melt, how high could the waters get, was asked. From the ice caps, the water levels of the ocean would rise and reach the left elbow of the Statue of Liberty. Uh, That's the arm that's holding the document. Tyson said, I don't even want to think about that. Uh, The thing is, even if more and more people believed we were were headed for disaster, and polls seem to show they do, the key is actually doing something about it and fast. Smith asked Sarah Birch, simply put, how do we know what we need to do? Or do we know what we need to do? Absolutely, she replied. We know that we need to move our electricity away from coal and highly polluting fossil fuels and towards solar and wind. We know that we need to do our buildings or what we need to do with our buildings to make them more efficient. We need to insulate them. We need to heat them with heat pumps instead of using natural gas, coal, and oil. We need to use clean electricity and switch to EVs. Uh, So we have this laundry list of really practical solutions that we know will work, but accelerating the uptake is the trick now. That's the challenge. And while scientists can see the worst of what lies ahead, they can also see a way forward, Smith asked. Birch, uh, Smith asked Birch why she still has hope. The flip side of that coin is that over the last 10 years, we've also seen evidence of real sustained greenhouse gas reductions, she replied. So what that tells me is we have a roadmap. We have the technologies, the policies, the actions already at play that we need to get where we want to go. So wow. I feel like yeah. that's
0: two different articles. Like it, it, it touches is, on yeah. Nevada and then goes right into climate is, change. There was
1: some other parts about Lake Mead that I kind of – pulled out because we don't need to talk about Lake Mead. If you haven't paid attention to the news um, or anything online talking about Lake Mead, Lake Mead is like significantly down. Um, I think they've found like there's even intake um, pipes. So places where they're pulling water out of Lake Mead, because Lake Mead's a big reservoir, pulling water out of Lake Mead that are exposed. So you can't get water out of them anymore because they're exposed. Um, They're finding like boats that sank (laughs) in the bottom. I think there's at least there's like, joking around I don't know if this is real or not but joking around that they're going to find like remains of people that the mob <laughs> threw in there from from
0: the Las Vegas strip but like I've seen so, like aerial photos of big lakes like in California yeah. where you can see the difference over the last five years like where you can mm-hmm. almost walk across it yeah where it was so deep before and it's like it's real I I know some people want to think that it's not real it's real and and Nevada I think you know that's a great step especially uh for other states to follow, like I'm sure there's native grasses that are drought-tolerant drought, drought tolerant, that don't need the same type of water that can take up that same space and provide for the environment than turf grass. That's that's a very small step. Obviously, the climate change that they're talking about is a very real and bigger step that – actually, it made me – like it went from something being, hey, this is something great to feel good about to how scary is this whole overall picture, which mm-hmm. I want I – I'm sure they wanted you to to get the sense of urgency for this. But
1: yeah, that was the big takeaway is that this is really urgent. As I a lot of it's been through this podcast, and maybe it's because we're I'm out looking for information to present on here, but I just keep finding more and more that's seems to be getting more dire and dire, more urgent and urgent on that. We need to do something. Yeah. We need to replace lawns with meadows. We need to replace turf grass where it shouldn't be, and especially in places like the, the southwest where you have water shortages already and then we're water installing turf grass and using tons of water on it for what other no other reason than the aesthetics of it. Yeah. Um and even we had a, a pretty severe drought here in New Jersey this year, and I'm looking at neighbors that are irrigating their lawns. I'm like, oh, we talk about right, plant, right place, and, well, if you're in a spot where the turf grass isn't surviving there, maybe that's not the right place. It's still a plant at the yeah. end of the it. day. Maybe it's not the right plant for that place. Yeah. And uh, I looked at it in my own yard and said, oh, there's some issues where I don't have grass growing here. And I, in that instance, it's a place where I would like grass to grow. Well, it's I've never gotten it to work, so maybe I just need to give up. And this year I saw ground-nesting bees there and all this really cool stuff. So I'm like, oh, does it look the best? Not really, but it plays an important role in the ecosystem at the same time
0: I'm, I'm trying to remember the last time we saw a drought to the magnitude that we had this summer and the one thing i'll say is if if you look at at my property the na- with the exception of the newly planted natives the established natives all held up really really well um the non-native stuff not so much there were a lot of things that we lost that we were okay losing because they were non-natives mm-hmm. we just kind of let it go the grass completely dead and like you said like i saw ground nesting bees i saw a lot of insect uh movement that we hadn't seen in the past so it just makes you think like oh look at look at the things that did well look at the things that didn't do well that should be a roadmap mm-hmm. moving forward for this yeah. and we didn't water anything but yeah i could walk through the neighborhood and i i could see the people that had automatic irrigation systems and they were pumping grass i don't know why like that was a Why that was necessary? Why that need uh, was there? Everyone else's grass was dead anyway. Why did you have to be the one property that looked good?
1: (laughs) Exactly. It's like you have bragging rights. You're going to parties and saying, "Oh, look at my grass compared to Pete's down the street." What a shallow thing to be proud of. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's um. There's tons of shallow things to be proud of, but that one is pretty high up there on the the list. I I, I agree. I agree. It's it's yeah. You don't want to. It's just a, a culture we have to break. It's just like this cultural desire that I think is where people are learning and more and more people are tuning into the idea of native plants. They're learning some of the downsides of some of these non-native plants like turf grass. I'm saying, oh, it's, it, and don't get me wrong, turf grass is always going to play a role here in New Jersey in the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. The Southwest, I, you're still going to need it on, on sports fields. There's major benefits for... Natural grass versus artificial turf. Yes. Turf. So if you can have it, it's but yeah, it's uh as more and more people learn, I think this culture is eventually going to change. It's just we need to it needs to change a little bit faster than uh and you know, I need to is.
0: I need to remember that it it varies in different parts of the country mm-hmm. as well. How we view it in the northeast, we're pretty fortunate with the amount of rain that we get typically. Oh yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. it it. It changes as you move throughout the country so i know i have our perspective but it's i i have a feeling like there's more and more articles i love that like i said when we first started doing the this or that i used to have to really like scrounge for mm-hmm. an article i don't have to scrounge anymore there's plenty to choose from and and there's a lot of topics like this like you said there's a lot of climate change articles so i think these are two really great articles uh both worthy of winning you get to vote. We will have the articles up on the the Facebook page uh, this probably Friday or Saturday. Mm-hmm. We'll have it yep. up, and you get to vote and and make sure you vote for one of these to see who wins. It will probably be Tom. Oh, I think I've don't only don't won like four times short, this year. Friend. I think I've There's only won. Like Patagonia
1: friends, fans out there, you got to watch out for all the like the North Face folks and uh, the REI. And or, or, <laughs> and I'm trying to think of the what's the other brand that's that's um, Columbia. Columbia is another one. Yeah. There's another one like in that Patagonia realm. Mm-hmm. That's maybe they like to wear
0: Helly Hansen. Oh, so now I will say this: Patagonia is not cheap either. Oh no, definitely. Not. You know when you look at the cost, I wonder what the cost. You know, I, I know it all comes down to profit. Um, you know, you're you're paying for Patagonia, so yeah. um, I don't know. I wonder how much is donated compared to really what the that profit is, mm-hmm. but yeah. but it's all for good things. Yeah. So just make yeah. sure you vote. And the choice is yours. There you go. Uh, you ready to do some listener shout outs?
1: Yeah, Fran, that, that would have actually been like a really, just make sure you vote and then he could hit
0: the button. And of course the choice is yours. Okay. There you go. All right. There you go. Uh, let's kick into listener shout outs. Listener, listener, shout out, shout out, shout out, shout out. So I just have one this week and, I, you know, and I don't know that we've, we've given Rick a shout out before. Rick, McCoy from uh, Richard A. McCoy Horticultural Services has been a guest I think three times on the podcast mm-hmm. now. Uh, he's been on three times. Um, we had mentioned that only two of the guests at our live uh, talk had heard the podcast podcast before. One was Lori Cleveland who, who uh, is the executive director of the Sourland Conservancy who we did the talk for. The other one being Rick McCoy. So mm-hmm. not something he had to come out to see. I don't know that we're giving Rick something he didn't already know. Uh, but I appreciate him taking the time out of his schedule uh to come visit us. So, and he showed us his really solar trailer, yeah, his solar trailer. So he has moved to uh electric or battery operated um equipment, Mm -hmm. and his trailer powers all of that uh without having to take anything off. It was it was actually solar powered uh, setup. really, really uh, impressive. Solar
1: panels on the the roof of the trailer. And um and I, he said he can even track it from his phone. Yeah. So he's like he's like oh yeah I can have my crew is pulls up to a job site and all of a sudden it's not pulling nearly as many. <laughs> he knows if <laughs> they're like sun. under a tree he's or like, in oh, the shade. Hey, you got to move the truck. You're parked under a tree. Under a tree. So yeah, it's a uh, it was a really cool.
0: impressive setup, and I'm glad he came a little bit early to share that with us. Yeah. But uh yeah, definitely uh it, it just speaks highly about the type of work that he's doing, and. And I applaud that. So thank you for coming out and spending some time with us. And uh, I'd actually never met Rick in person before. So it was nice to actually shake his hand and say hello. Yeah. So
1: and then we had two five-star reviews that wrote in this week. And uh, and the first one was from SidRat66. Um, and they wrote that it's a great podcast with a truckload of info they that they never knew but really needed. So that's always good uh, to hear. Thank you very so, much. We and the other one was that. from Michelle Summertime, which uh, I'm sorry, summertime is coming to an end here. But, yes, it is. Um we just we just rolled over last week, right? And um and she wrote that she always loves sharing nature with her kids and family and bird watching with the bird feeders, and uh went to a Facebook page about looking for native plants that would attract birds and um what else did they write? Was it, it, it was it, very long. Was
0: it Siri that brought like when she searched Siri about native plants or Alexa? It was one or the two? But it actually.
1: Yes. uh, Alexa. uh, She asked Alexa to play a native plant podcast. And here we were. That is awesome.
0: I love hearing that. That makes me happy. But there were so many good things. Every time I see that review, I the the silly things that my brain does. Like, cause it it started Mm -hmm. out with uh, attracting birds and it always makes me think of the killers. It started out with a kiss. How did it end up like this? (laughs) So, um, you know, but it's, and, and Michelle took the time to, to write a lot mm-hmm. to us, and we really appreciate the time that you took and that, that we could mean that much or help yeah. help yeah. guide you in the right direction. It makes us feel that we're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So we really appreciate that feedback, and hopefully you'll continue to be a listener and we can continue to help, help share more good information. Yeah.
1: So, so. Fran, I see we don't have any questions. There were no
0: questions this uh, week.
1: We don't have a topic. We don't. Um, we don't have a
0: Franz complaint or a Tom's Petty. I gotta come up with a thing for. I love Tom's Petty. I look. I didn't Google to see Tom Petty lyrics that deal with complaining, so that we could lift it. And there was only one song, and it didn't really fit. Yeah. So we'll come up with. Well, you that have. Song. Uh, I should have checked. It says "Don't bring me down," which I. I yeah, know that was, was not the line, a one. Petty song, but okay. but uh, that the lyric didn't quite. Didn't quite fit.
1: Is that a Tom Petty
0: song? Yeah, it's always yeah. been a Tom Petty yeah. song. I always saw someone well, else sing. You're that. thinking. I'm thinking ELO. You're Maybe, thinking. Yeah, the, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, of. You're thinking that the different song, but um, yeah. yeah, I'll find something that well, works. I but, did.
1: I don't have a, a real grow read a book, but there's something I'm trying to shove into that category. Can I play um, the theme? Yeah, music? go ahead.
0: Grow read a book. I like books. All right. What are you trying to? And it's okay that we don't have. Like we're really. By The way it's busy, and, yes, and Tom is out of all of us the busiest person here. <laughs> like, I'm surprised we're actually squeaking this one in.
1: We, yeah, we shoved this. I, Frank, came to me earlier and said, Hey, when can we record this week? And I'm like, Well, I'm going to a conference uh tomorrow through Friday, so we this afternoon, we yeah, gotta this <laughs> we afternoon. gotta do it. So, we're doing <laughs> um, it.
0: So, it's uh, which is all good things. Yep, it, it's yep. now that COVID is a little more relaxed, everything is open back up, and we're getting to. Mm-hmm. To, to see people face-to-face and yeah. shake their hands and in certain instances give hugs and, and have conversations in person, yeah. which hasn't happened in, and it's in so long. When you,
1: when you really look at like the, the testing data and the, all the different rates and whatnot. It really hasn't disappeared as much as people think it has, oh, but my, it's...
0: Um, my doctor told yeah. me today she's had it three times yeah. already. I was like, really? Yeah. Uh, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You, you're a doctor, you're working in a place where people come to you and are sick. I would yeah. imagine, no but, matter yeah, what you in, do.
1: Uh, if you're, if you, I, we've gotten to a point. I should say we don't. We don't look at the numbers nearly as much as we did. So it no. kind of fades from mind a little bit quick. It's been over two years. People are a little tired of it, and it's. Uh, but yeah, so all these conferences are starting to go on, and from a business perspective, it's something that we should attend. Yeah. So um, that's why I'm going. But we're, we're going to all of them. Yeah. That's why we're so busy. Anyway, so not books. Um, But something I think is worthwhile for people to watch. Okay. If you have Netflix, there's a really cool documentary. Fran does not have Netflix, so he's looking at me a little sad right now. I don't. Um, There's a cool documentary called Gather that was uh, about some indigenous peoples and how they would cook with uh, not just native plants, but how how a lot of them were native plants that they would use traditionally and how they were kind of reinvigorating some of their historical recipes. That sounds like um, something I would really enjoy. And in... In exciting tribes and doing yeah. new, opening new restaurants and new businesses, it was just really heartwarming. I guess is one way to put it to see that this was happening, especially from my perspective, where we've been diving into this a little bit. Um, then the other one just launched uh, on the twenty sixth, so it's brand new. It was on Hulu. I don't know where it actually is, like realistically launched, but they had a couple episodes up there, uh, and it's it's a a show. I guess it's a competitive show. I, In all of, uh, all honesty, I didn't finish the episode. I put it on last night when I was laying in bed, and I fell asleep before the very end. Um, but it's called Chef vs. Wild. And they basically take these, like, two gourmet chefs and put them in the wilderness with, like, a survivalist guide. And they go around and forage for different mushrooms and fish. And, like, I think they're given some ingredients. Okay. They, like, in the episode I was watching, um, which had, uh, a There was Chef Nico, who was uh, a Cherokee woman from uh, Oklahoma and who had ran some restaurants, and I can't remember the name of her business off the top of my head. And then there was another guy, Chef Allen, who is uh, the person behind the Forager Chef website. And um, so they're looking for mushrooms, and they're finding all these, oh, here's some nettles, and I can use this to make a pesto. And, oh, here's some, like, they went down to the, they're in British Columbia, they went down to the water and found some seaweed and, like, oysters and muscles just a cool show it was done in like that same like
0: like iron you know, chef like iron thing. chef
1: man versus wild like if they if they went and combined those two shows this was that show and it was it was interesting especially if you're like you don't mind some of the cheesy like cut scenes of, like Oh, we were really having a hard time finding mushrooms, and then all of a sudden, there it was. Right?
0: <laughs>
1: if you don't mind some of that stuff, and then like, oh, there's Chef Nico. She's down on the beach, and she oh, she fell in a hole. <laughs> it's like some of it's a little cheesy,
0: but, but that's it's a great. It's a really it's a great interesting primer show. to yeah. get you to think of ways that you can exactly you can forage and the things that you can mm-hmm. do, and and you know you forget about it's showcasing
1: like like how that. much is actually out there to a whole different audience. Yeah. You have to be blind to realize that food shows aren't taking over streaming platforms. There's, like, food shows about everything. Yeah, This is one that kind of advocates for our wild spaces and native plants. So I, I can't be against it, even if it did get a little cheesy at times. Yeah. I don't spoil it for me. I didn't watch the end yet. All I'm right. going to go home, and I'm going to finish it
0: tonight. Right. You um, can follow up on the next, <laughs> next But they slide. launched,
1: like, three, I think two or three episodes to
0: start. So. Okay. Hey, it's, I, I thought for a topic when you're done. Yeah. Oh, I'm before, done. Okay. I thought you were, and then I was like, oh, I didn't mean to cut you off, that we can go back. I know in the last buzz we talked about coming up with names for invasives, Mm -hmm. and uh, our our trusty sidekick, Alyssa Lewis, uh, made a post in the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook page. I thought maybe we could read some of the things that people had listed uh, for discouraging names for for invasives. So I could start off with a couple while you're bringing it up. Uh, Sarah Roberts – had for tree of heaven because tree of heaven sometimes gets confused with with native sumacs as stinking sumac which i thought was a really good name to kind of point point people away from it uh let me see Um, you can keep rolling while i while i find these here uh uh, uh, emily shelby had called bradford pear the fishy tree because she felt like the bud smelled like fish so I thought that was a pretty good one, um, and, and a couple people had mentioned that that they thought of it. So besides Stinking Sumac for uh, Tree of Heaven, uh, Brad uh, – and Brad's a customer of ours, and I know I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Madrinsky?
1: Uh, I would need to see it written in front of me.
0: Okay. But I like the
1: one that – has um, Tree of Hell, by Oh, the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I thought was – I really like good. the one uh, from Carol Lawrence. And I'm referencing multi rose, and just abbreviated to MF rose, <laughs> which,
0: which, <laughs> which that, is those really initials good. Initials <laughs> can be for used for you, something you else. You know, when um, I when I show, when so. I went through, that was the one that got me to laugh the hardest. <laughs> the MF rose. Um, uh, Rita Tomasetti uh, said Japanese barbed wire for Japanese barberry, which I think that's that's a really good play on words and makes people think uh, just how bad it is. Um, and she also said deathly bamboo instead of heavenly uh, bamboo. Uh, which is Nandina domestica, which is also now starting to be considered invasive in some some areas. Yeah, there's a, a bunch that listed
1: um, uh, Japanese barberry. One is like tick bush. Yeah, does because I've I've heard it attracts ticks. I think I dove into it here once, but I can't remember exactly why it, it harbored more ticks. Um, there's someone, uh, uh, Raz uh, Doremus, wrote that uh, English ivy could be like the green plague <laughs> 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 yeah i like
0: that um john Nysted had japanese snot weed for japanese knotweed, so i thought that was a really good one as well um let me see if uh we had any more um i know there was a, a empty promise bush instead of burning mm-hmm. bush i kind of like that one too
1: yeah so that- there's a lot of good ones in there up out there. Yeah. Uh,
0: so go to the Facebook page. If you're not a member, become a member or join the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook uh, page. This was a, a post that everyone had fun con- uh, contributing to. We had a lot of interaction with that, uh, and and it's nice to see it all done in in good, mm-hmm. good, good jest. Yeah. You know, everyone everyone had a good time with it. So I, I'm glad we were able to go through some of those uh, some mm-hmm. of your suggestions. Uh, because yeah, we asked. keep them coming, yeah, keep them coming. I,
1: I'd love to see more. I
0: agree.
1: And I... Uh, eventually, someone's going to start making <laughs> making labels, <laughs> like fake labels. That would be a good marketing campaign some... for some of these groups. Is to make some like fake plant labels for for some of those things, and then just share them in like the the other Facebook groups that revolve around native plants. I don't, think that would be fun. Don't
0: go rogue. Yeah. Don't don't go rogue. Go rogue. Oh. No, don't go rogue. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> uh, you ready for take it or leave it? I'm ready. I kind of felt like this was something we discussed before, but you're you're thinking no. And, I don't remember. And uh, I was I was looking at planting instructions, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily for restorations, but just like everyday planting instructions for a plant. And mm-hmm. it's changed over the 30 years that I've been in the industry. The recommendations of what what was suggested has mm-hmm. changed. It used to be. I remember back in the 80s, it was dig a hole. Say you're digging planting a tree. It was dig a hole twice as wide as the, the root ball, twice as deep, take the natural so- soil and put additives or amendments like peat moss, uh, things to help it establish quicker. Um, and then I, somewhere in the 90s, it changed to instead of twice as deep, it was – uh only as deep as the container and you want a hard pan underneath and then still twice as wide and you, you make amendments. Um how do you feel about ticket or leaf amendments or additives for soil when planting?
1: Uh I don't I don't use them. Um I don't either. It's yeah it's out. one of those things that I guess it depends. Like if you're trying to force a plant where it probably shouldn't be, you probably need to amend the soil. But a lot of, if you're using native plants that are, and this is where it gets really difficult because yes. you look at the normal, like home foundation planting, it's not your native soil. It's a lot of it's it was brought backfill. in backfiller yeah. and maybe they added topsoil. Um, so it's, could be some native soils, but it's like a mix of all kinds of, stuff. I was talking to a guy the other day, who was talking, he had to dig a, he was digging footings for a a porch and was like finding all these like sheets of metal that were down like three feet underground and it was because i guess they they put this sheet metal in the block um some of the vents and then when the people would come to install the vents they just knock it out and leave it on the
0: ground and eventually get buried and uh yeah well my old house right before i sold it there were like a couple years there was a sinkhole in the front mm-hmm and it was because it was all fill like i yep. actually dug it up to find out what had happened like i'm like did mm-hmm. something break it was just there were cinder blocks and brick and water bottles yeah. and from the 80s that just mm-hmm. it settled and caused a little bit of a yep like a sink and i removed it all and then brought in soil and fixed mm-hmm. it you know but um there are some things i like do you want to incorporate mycorrhizae oh Probably. that's yeah. a, that's a good one for me cuz yeah. i say
1: Okay. Um. I think. Oh, this is gonna black or uh, blacklist me from some of the nursery stuff. Oh. I think there's um. I don't know. I I haven't dug deep enough on mycorrhiza to really have an educated opinion on it. What I've found, and this was through iNaturalist, I saw a fungus that was growing in one of our pots. Okay. And I picked or I took a picture of it, and I put it in uh, iNaturalist, and it was native to South Africa. And then, like in the description said, often used in mycorrhizal packets. Yeah. I'm like, huh. So, the whole concept of mycorrhizae is you're introducing um, basically fungal bodies that are beneficial to the plants. Yeah. because, And that's yeah. necessary for a lot of plants. You for, need that.
0: For that transfer, nutrient transfer through the roots. But like then I was,
1: from, I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, we're planting native oaks and maples and all this kind of stuff and junipers, whatever and now we're introducing mushrooms from south africa <laughs> to them how there's no relationship there there's no, no. bond there now may there's that doesn't mean the benefit's not there but the historical relationship that we are thinking we're doing is not the, the there.
0: evolutional the evolution
1: yeah. yeah so but um and our, then i'm like how much damage are we causing by putting cool. in mycorrhizae that's not native here and putting it eventually All putting in the ground our, i don't know if we're doing something, we just don't know the ramifications. Yet. How about this?
0: Say you're planting um, emergent species along mm-hmm. a pond. Say you're planting spatter dock. Yeah. Say you were to go out to a native community of spatterdock and take a Dixie cup mm-hmm. full of soil from yeah. that, which would contain the natural mycorrhizae mm-hmm. and then incorporate it into your planting. I'm not yeah. saying to go rogue and go digging up pot you don't need like yeah. oh, tons you, and tons. You don't of need it. tons. Like you could have like a small small yeah. pill container full of soil mm-hmm. that may have the proper mycorrhizae. I've done that. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but that's a lot of planning. Oh, that's yeah. something to having to yeah. know where. It's,
1: and I don't know how much that would actually help. I don't like, know well, if it I, does. I don't. Once you disturb it, does it? I don't know how much it destroys it and how fast it's going to rebound and come back. Um, See, so yeah, I don't mess with it. Now, now I will <laughs> say
0: this: the only soil amendment I really do in our gardens are leaf cover. Mm-hmm. You know, and we do we do throw compost out. You know, yeah. we, we put compost in, anything that can be compost gets thrown in our garden beds. Um, and we cover with leaf litter over the winter to let that mm-hmm. replenish. Yeah. Um, so even though that soil may have been brought in backfill mm-hmm. over time, hopefully, if you're doing this, it's better. But when I'm planting a plant, I add no soil amendments yeah. because I'm thinking if this is native to here and it's the right hydrology. Mm-hmm. Um, then it shouldn't need soil amendments to get it. Yep. You know, what they were finding were the roots when they're hitting the hole mm-hmm. like peat moss would help it continue out, but then once it gets through the peat moss, it's still yeah. having the same issues. Mm-hmm. So you can break up that soil a little bit when you're planting yep. to try to give it some structure to go up or to go mm-hmm. out or go down. Um I don't know. I, I think the right soil amendments, like I I would never use peat moss mm-hmm. to And I would never. I don't think that I would bring in topsoil either.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm in. If you're doing like a meadow planting, or you're in the like way in your backyard, you live in some places a little more royal, and you have your native soils there. I don't think it's something you need. But I, I I don't. You don't have enough experience doing it in. uh, In well, I should say I don't have enough experience doing it uh, successfully in (laughs) non-native soils to. Because what's around my house, like right next to my house in the foundation plane, that's not native soils. No. Um, no. But I haven't been that successful with what I've tried mm-hmm. at the same time. And I should go back and talk Go in reference to the mycorrhizae. I shouldn't say, like I said, I don't know enough to really be super educated about the topic. But um, I don't want my, like, just because I don't, what am I trying to say? Just because I'm ignorant about it doesn't mean that I have a full-fledged opinion about it. Yeah. I have a half Fledged opinion about it, and I'm like, a lot of this makes sense to me just knowing about other things, but I don't have any scientific proof to back that up. So don't take what I'm saying as the gospel, yeah. uh, as all too often happens
0: online. <laughs> so. No, but like behind my property is a, a natural area that you know was yeah. disturbed when the houses were built. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it goes without disturbance. Yeah, but there is natural soils there. Mm. Um. And you can kind of see where that line is and what the Mm -hmm. difference is. But over time, like the houses were built over 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. So over time with knowing that it's wooded with leaf cover and stuff like that, the soils have changed like in some parts for the better, for some parts for the worse. So it's interesting. I I think it depends on where you're at, how new the development is, what you're dealing with as far as soil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, You may need it in in some instances. But for the most part, I, I tend to leaf it. Uh, me uh, too specifically yeah. so. so i think that's all right yeah. i think that's it with yeah. about an hour
1: that's going to wrap us up for you, wrap us up for today thank you for joining us we hope you enjoy listening to the buzz thank you everyone for listening to native plants healthy planet presented by Pinewoods Nursery.
0: thank you to rj comer for our buzz theme music you can uh stream or buy rj's music on wherever you uh get your music or consume your music itunes spotify so forth uh, or you can really check out his Americana playlist on pa- uh, Pandora. Just uh, search for them and you'll be glad that you did. They're great playlists. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Pinelands Nursery or Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, and also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Uh, it's it's been a while we haven't had a lot of calls or comments but don't forget about the question and comment line call us at 215-346-6189 i will repeat that 215-346-6189 ask a question or leave a comment we're going to play it on the future episode of the buzz answer it to the best of our ability and if we can't we will phone a friend and uh we talked about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group earlier. The conversations have been great. There's been more. I think we're up to 1.3 thousand mm-hmm. members. Yep. So it just keeps growing. And uh, it's been very civil and uh, productive, which I appreciate and friendly.
1: Yeah. So you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch d- at directly at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh There's a banner across the top. Takes you to our teespring, teespring store. And from there, you can pick out all cool designs. I have a couple more. Um, I, cause we got, we ordered stickers, which we're going to give to the, our favorite, uh, uh, what's it called? Invasive plant renames. Oh, that's great. We're going to give away stickers to some of them. So we'll be in contact with the people that we made us laugh the hardest and, uh, and feel free to keep adding names there because, uh, we, as things pop up, we might. We might contact you and, and mail you some stickers, and and um, also
0: if you're coming out to our live podcast, anyone who is willing to ask a question live, we will give a choice of stickers. To. Yeah, so they're great for a yeti. Yeah, yep. And um,
1: but I was like, oh man, I should probably put these on the t-shirts too. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll probably upload them as uh, as t-shirts as well in the near future. Uh, and we don't take any of the profits from that. All the profits we basically uh allocate and then when we get to a lump sum that's large enough that we feel is is impactful enough to donate someone we choose uh usually one of our guests who's been on and kind of has like a really good mission and and we like to choose people who hey they're doing this because they love it they don't
0: need the money they don't
1: want free plants or they'd love to have free plants but they're going to do it without they're not doing it for tax
0: incentives (laughs) so so,
1: and we choose some of them and it's a we've We've been lucky enough to give away fifteen hundred dollars so far, so I'm, happy. Um,
0: I'm I'm proud of that.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, and uh, you can also listen to our podcast at Um But you're probably going to listen on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, really wherever you consume your podcast. And uh, when you're doing that, if it's all possible, um, leave a five star review. And if you do a little write up, I'll give you a shout out on the buzz. That really goes a long way into uh, getting us higher up into where people see us and promoting this native plant message. And uh, if you really want us to, do us a big, big favor and and have us pop up more. Uh, take your friends slash spouses or just random phone you find and uh, go to their podcast app of choice and subscribe them to Native Plants Healthy Planet. And then uh, then we'll really shoot up and, and show up on a lot more people's phones. So um, with that, Fran, are we ready for today's secret?
0: Yeah, you said you have. I haven't been bringing it, but you I, said you had a secret. I have a secret. Um
1: that I kept secret from you. Oh, and that was well. First, I should mention we had a lot of people write in about the last two episodes about how much they enjoyed them, uh, both with our last buzz because yeah. we had a lot of fun making that one, and then with the a moth night. A lot of
0: people loved moth night, which
1: that was really. uh Friend, I didn't have time. We I think we lost our guest last minute, and we yeah. had to it was like, oh, what do we do? So we said, well, we have this kind of stashed away, yeah. and we're planning on doing some more of that as I'm going to conferences. Yeah. Hey, what better than to sit down with some of these professionals and over a beer and kind of talk shop and yeah. really pull back the curtain, let you in on the conversation. Um, so I don't know when we're going to release them, but we will at some point uh, as we recorded them. I don't have any stashed uh-huh. away uh-huh. yet. But what happened is so last Friday uh, we released the Moth Night when we would have recorded an actual podcast. That was yeah. on September 23rd, yeah. which also happened to be Fran's birthday. Yes, yes. And uh, so we missed saying happy birthday to Fran that's on okay. our actual episode. So we're doing it a week late. And oh, Fran, how old are you now? I am 52. So I'm old. And so I'm old. and I'll tell you a little bit of my day on Fran's birthday. Okay. Um, cuz uh, I <laughs> I started out by getting peed on by my son. <laughs> 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 As he said, "Daddy, I need to go to the potty." And then started to walk and I could tell it was like it, it was a little bit su- he wasn't and- walking with the same gait as he normally does. Yeah. So I could tell he was holding it. So I'm like, I'm going to pick you up and expedite <laughs> this trip. And uh, as that happened, I quickly felt my uh, shoulder oh. and chest getting wet. And um, so, and I was already getting a little late or late for work. Oh. He woke up at like an hour and a half earlier than he usually did that day on top of that. So he just hasn't been feeling right. Um, so I'd already been up for like an extra hour than i normally would because i wake him up in the morning and then uh then he peed on me uh-huh. and uh and then i had a doctor's appointment yes. the, so i went to that and um so i had my eyes dilated and uh, my wife and son went with me because we were going out are we the plan was to go out to lunch later yeah. it didn't happen <laughs> things were just a little bit too crazy <laughs> um and uh <laughs> so i usually when you get your eyes dilated. I've even yeah. told a secret on here how I got yeah. my eyes dilated and I couldn't drive home because yeah. I had to take my contacts in. Well, they told me to put my contacts back in. I'm like, man, I can see really well. Melissa's got her hands full with our son. I'm going to drive to where we're going next. Okay. And uh, as we started to go, I'm like, the GPS screen <laughs> started to oh. get a little bit blurrier. And eventually I'm like, oh, Melissa – I'm when we get to our spot, like I can see enough to drive, but I'm going to let you drive home because I'm getting to a point where it's getting harder for me to see. And then she's like, oh, man, gas up here is like way more expensive at home. And like, oh, crap, I need to fill up my car. When we were going into the uh, eye doctors, I said, we've got to stop at the gas station right on the corner as we're pulling up to this gas station. I ran out of gas.
0: Oh, <laughs> so, no. I didn't know any of this. Yeah, literally
1: I'm at the, the corner. So I just ran across the street and uh, begged for mercy from the gas station attendant. And if he would let me borrow a gas can. He says, I don't have one, but I'll sell one to you. So I bought a one gallon gas can for $15. Oh. Filled it up as, like, and with the new gas sensors, you can't fill them up anymore. It's got to, like, press down, so I could only fill yeah. up halfway. So uh, I have half a gallon of gas, and I'm, like, running over to my car that's literally 50 feet away, just, like, on the side of the road, and filled it up as much as I could. Got it started, pulled over, put a couple more gallons in it. Because uh, oh, I wasn't paying 60 cents more a gallon. Uh, I was like, I yeah, just need enough to get me home. And, uh, I had yeah. no idea. Yeah, so that was, no uh, idea. That was my last Friday and on you, Fran's
0: birthday. And you came in very, like... Calm. Yeah, well, that
1: was – I I got to a point where I'm like, well, I've already had three bad things happen to me today, so I don't have to worry about yeah. any more if they that, come in threes, you know? So
0: did, well, I don't – have I ever shared on the podcast – I know you know the story about the one time I've been peed on and it wasn't my kids. I don't <laughs> think that's safe for the podcast, Fran. <laughs> no, that's, this one's uh, safe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it that was, sounds very personal. It was uh, – it wasn't. It, it was not wanted. Yeah. It was unwanted. Uh, I was at a Jimmy Buffett concert. Um, okay. At – it's to a whole different level. Yeah, okay. and I was in the lawn seats at the Camden Waterfront Stadium, which was it was a, it was a sold out show and someone's been, fins were a little
1: too far to the left. They were a little
0: yeah, yeah, they were a little too full and yeah. uh, someone decided, "Hey, I'm going to relieve myself right here." And it just happened to be on the back of my leg. And uh, that's a really horrible feeling knowing like what am I going to yeah. like and like I turned around to see what was going on, and that didn't – it was someone that was so drunk that
1: – It didn't deter them. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> deter
0: them, and I realized that they had no idea of what they yeah. were doing for ha- – like as you can imagine, I was pretty angry. Mm. Like uh, like I wanted to retaliate, but yeah. I, I managed not to. But it kind of put it kind of dampened the whole evening. <laughs> Lisa. literally yeah literally <laughs> i'm sure there's a jimmy buffett song to describe that somewhere and i'm just not thinking about it but it just i'm trying uh, to come up with one off uh, the top of my head and it's not coming to me so <laughs> but after that i refused to see jimmy buffett if i didn't have a seat because mm-hmm. i didn't see that happening in a seat like in the lawn yeah yeah no i'm not saying it can't happen you'd be
1: surprised jimmy buffett attracts a wild crowd yeah
0: Yeah. oh i know i've seen probably i think either four or five shows yeah it's been a been a few years since i went but yeah not not my favorite concert experience Mm -hmm. unforgettable one not my favorite (laughs) (laughs) so all right well that's gonna wrap us up for today i'm tom and i am fran thank you again everyone uh Coming up next episode, we have our live podcast at James Braddock Park at the Nature's Cafe with Dr. Randy Eckel. So uh, come out and see us or make sure you tune in for that, and we will see you again next time. And until then, keep it native.